The Startup to Scale Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. So I'm pleased to welcome uh, Steve King, co-founder and CEO at Black Swan Data to, to this week's show. Black Swan creates better outcomes through technology, prediction, and data science. Their products transform the way brands create value from data, finding insights and solutions that create an advantage uh, for their uh, clients' businesses. Black Swan Data is funded by Albion Capital, Blackstone and Mitsui, and they've dozens of uh, global blue chip customers, including Disney, Unilever, Panasonic, and PepsiCo. So, uh, Steve, a very warm welcome. Thank you. Nice to speak to you, Gary. Absolutely. So, uh, Steve, let's begin with a trip down memory lane. You used to be uh, a house DJ, and indeed, you still have your own uh, music studio. So, how did you make the journey from DJ? to successful software entrepreneur? Simple answer, don't be a successful DJ, I'd imagine, is probably the way of looking at it. <laughs> um, it, was, it, was a bit of a, it was a bit of a strange journey, I think, as everyone probably was. Um, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, someone asked me, like, how long I've been an entrepreneur, and I was like, well, I haven't been really before this, and I realised, sort of after I'd said that, that I was a lie, and that I'd started four or five different businesses sort of in the last 15 years and just never really thought about it that way. Um, but uh, yeah, I was, I was a, a professional DJ um, for a couple of years and ran a music studio, which uh, probably went bankrupt because it was really badly run. Um, uh, I, uh, from the back of that, I started doing, um, in the music studio, telephone hold music, where I realized that people uh, would, weren't really paying for the hold music licensing they had on. And it was so expensive that they would be more than happy to buy a, a, a CD from you, which was license free. And I got people to come into our studio for free in return for me being able to sell their music license free on on uh, hold music. I managed to kind of get myself back on my feet, um, moved to London, fell back in love with software development, and just really bounced around through a couple of businesses. You know, I always say that I've um, lost two, drawn one, and uh, won one, and this is my <laughs> hopefully going to be my uh, equaliser. Um, so <laughs> you're, yeah, you're doing almost as well as my beloved West Ham United. So well done. <laughs> Thank you. Although sometimes it doesn't feel like that. So coming a little bit more up to date, tell me about your shift from a services business to a software product company. How, when, and why did you make that transition? It's a really good question. So we didn't start Black Swan, I think, with a really clear vision. We loved the idea of. You know, Black Swan being a a name which describes an event which was almost unpredictable until you found the right data. So that was kind of really why we, we, we sort of loved that idea and built the company around that. But we weren't lucky enough to start the company with the product. You know, it was purely the vision. So when we started, you know, we, we effectively used that as our kind of our direction. But everything we did was service-based. You know, we had li- I had a little bit of money from the last company. You know, we were happy to man it out on credit cards and the like for you know for whatever time it needed but we didn't really have the luxury of a really clear defined product you know and generate money for that product and then be able to build it that way we you know we started off with a bunch of ideas and kind of whittled down to a product you've had some quite interesting experiences trying to scale your business into the states it was a bit of a failure 
initially and you had to fire the team you'd hired in the States. So what went wrong and what advice do you have for software leaders in Europe looking to expand successfully into the States? Yeah, and it definitely wasn't the fault of the people we hired in the US that it went wrong. So, you know, a lot of people will say you went to the US and we got the wrong talent. We didn't even get that far. You know, we we went to the US with an ambition that we wanted to reach the NASDAQ. And it seemed like the next natural thing to do. But we were at the time, you know, producing some really great work for customers here in, in the UK and across Europe, solving specific problems. And we picked, you know, some really smart people who are problem solvers out in the US, tried to give them the same tools as we were using and, you know, expected those guys to then be able to run with those. In reality, the tools weren't ready. You know, they weren't match fit for people in another country. So, you know, effectively, these guys are kind of left to their wits. And the guys we'd hired, you know, they weren't founders. So they didn't have the pressure that we had when we were young, you know, in order that you had to make money to survive. So, you know, they didn't really have the same kind of bite as, as we had in the UK. And we, for those two things, you give these guys bad tools and they don't have the kind of the, the fear or the motivation behind them to succeed, then it was always going to fail the first time. You know, on reflection, I can see that so clearly now. So that was a huge learning. And it has meant that our, you know, the next crossing to the US, and now we're at the point that 50% of our revenue comes from the US. So I feel much more confident. But that was really from bottom up. And interestingly, he didn't really use much in the way of funding. You know, it really was putting bums on seats around for very specific things, you know, and scaling up around customers cleverly where we can. And then, you know, the odd bit of investment here and there, whenever we felt we needed to get to the next level. So, yeah, just raising money and then charge out to the US didn't really work. Um, and certainly when I try and avoid if you just raise money. So a more thoughtful, strategic approach to expanding to the States is, is clearly one, one aspect of what you believe is required. Anything else that you'd be saying to an entrepreneur who's got a successful software or SaaS business here in Europe and who's beginning to plan for uh, expansion into the States? What else would you advise them to do to make sure they, uh, they do that effectively? Yeah, so I mean, the first thing I would pick up on is strategic, which is, yes, we certainly should have sat down and discussed more about what the plan was than kind of just jump, jumped into it to make it more strategic. But in reality, being very flexible about what the plan has been has been our winner this time. So what, we, what we've tried to do this time is, you know, make sure we think about each decision. But we haven't, you know, we didn't, this time we didn't go over with a clear strategy if we want to be in New York or the West Coast, East Coast. We actually just played it step by step. Um, just with a little bit more thought. So that was a really interesting twist, I thought, you know, um, because last time we paid you know, people a lot of money to think it through and give us the perfect cities, whereas they didn't turn out to be as expected. And then the second thing is just do everything in the last minute. You know, I could have very easily carried on flying back and forth, flying back and forth, you know, in order to make to build this myself. You know, it's not great on the family life. But, you know, my, my wife and my family have been very understanding in, on the mission. Um, and I wish that I just carried on doing that for, for longer until I'd brought more of the, you know, brought more of the sort of the founders and the tools over to the US and just really tested them out thoroughly so that when I'd handed them over to the guys who we hired, who then would have been the right guys, you know, they could have then driven the business. And then finally, you know, is if you have founders or even people who act like founders in your business, 
you know, some of you are going to have to go over to the US as well. You know, there's no point thinking like we did that you can kind of do it from here. You know, I, I, I've spent, you know, long, long periods of time now over the US and some of the other guys who I consider my core team who really understand the Black Swan way are now out in the US and are staying out in the US until their mission is over. So it was a, a complex problem to solve, but eminently solvable if you, you know, if, if you do all of those things. Similar experience at, uh, at Huddle, actually. I recently interviewed for a, another podcast episode, um, Neil Ryland, who was chief commercial officer at, uh, at Huddle, and they found exactly the same thing. They had to have members of the core team in situ in the States to bring knowledge of the product, the vision, the culture, um, all those things um, needed to be exported, if you like, to the States mm. through landing someone who was part of that senior core team so it sounds like you've had a very similar experience to the team at huddle let's talk about expanding east you've also expanded into japan and i'd love to hear a little bit about that how did you plan and execute on your japanese strategy and in what ways is that different to your uh, u.s strategy well, we didn't plan and execute a Japanese strategy. That's probably definitely a big difference. Um, so we <laughs> took funding from Mitsui. Um, so Mitsui are really a followers in investment. So they followed a couple of other people in investment with us. But we were really interested by them because they showed a real passion and thirst for understanding our business. And a lot of the stuff they played back to us was stuff that we found quite difficult to express ourselves. It's particularly early on, you know, in the first two or three swan years. But now, you know, now they're kind of stable and our products are stable. They've been an amazing partner. So they now are, have got some people working in their offices who go out and sell um, in Japan. And I guess if you look, if you thought about this in the way in the US, it's identical. You know, they've taken a lot of time to study and understand, you know, the culture we have, the tools we have, the way that we approach things. And they just assimilate it and they, you know, they bring it to Japan. You know, we don't have anyone from Black Swan in Japan, but they have, you know, they've more or less made that happen by assimilating our knowledge and um, culture and tools and and then are now use, using them with their customers, but crediting our name. So, you know, it's a, it's a very different experience from the US because, you know, we, we stated that we weren't even going to look at Asia at the beginning, but in the end has proved to be equally as successful as, as the US, but probably just because of Mitsui's foresights rather than mine. How did Mitsui stumble across your business or vice versa a stumble is probably exactly the right word when we were raising funding we have a, a lovely chap who's a kind of bit of a door opener who works for us most days of the week and and like, unbeknownst to me they had kind of contacted him and said we'd like to invest in black swan because he you know we couldn't i don't think our contact does even worked on the, on the website at the time um, and so they went to speak to him at the time we were actually beginning to court people like lloyd's development capital who were there's now and um and albion so i was like focusing on them i didn't even see it so he stumbled in um and apparently the first meeting was next to a little had this little room where we kept the table tennis table when we weren't playing it in the mornings and apparently <laughs> these guys were just meeting in this little broom cupboard with a table tennis table because there were no other rooms and like, and only like this, you know, Mark did the meeting. Kind of reported back by email. And I was like, "What on earth has happened here?" Not even didn't even know it happened. And then when we started kind of reading up and seeing who they were, we were like, "Oh, whoops!" And, and then of course, you know, we got, got the cavalry out and gave them some support and and uh, brought them brought them in as investors. Okay, it's a lovely story. Moving away from the business side of Swan, 
You're also have a, a charity venture, White Swan. So tell us a little bit about the vision behind White Swan. Sure. Um, my sister, um, about 10 years ago, had a mysterious illness, um, which started off you know, not being too much of a problem, but a couple of years ago came to its peak where she would be excellent in the morning. She'd wake up and she'd bounce around the house full of energy. Well, a couple of hours later, she would she would be in a wheelchair, and by the evenings, she was uh, unable to speak or eat, um, and would have to be carried to bed and taken to the toilet. And one summer, I went home and I was we were talking to the doctor, and we tried everything. You know, literally, the, the poor doctor had tried everything he could to try and get some ty- diagnosis, but never got there. And she'd been sort of bracketed into this uh, into ME. I remember the night he just said to me, "Look, you know, I think she's." What, she's going to swallow her tongue one night. She hasn't got the energy or the strength to be able to not do that when she go, before she goes to sleep. So, you know, you have to prepare for the worst. At the time, we'd really just begin to, you know, we had the first bearings of our product where we were basically using um, AI to listen to all the conversations on the internet for brands. So we were listening to what people were, you know, these millions of conversations that go on social networks and blogs and, and being able to turn them into useful information that you could query. So I remember thinking, well, you know, there's quite a lot of people online talking about rare diseases. So surely we can just use these tools, try and, you know, get an idea of what people would, uh, what what could be going on with Judy, my sister. So we did actually, and with a lot of help from people in here, which again, the early white swanners, um, we managed to pull together a piece of tool. I even went back to coding, which was terrifying for everybody involved. And we basically got a packet from Judy, which was all her description of her problem, which is really useful because her actual description, not a doctor's um, description. And then a photo, a video and some stats, which I've been keeping over the last couple of years to keep her, you know, to try and measure what was wrong unsuccessfully. And we listened for people who had the same kind of conversation. So rather than keyword matching Google searching, we were searching the whole internet, looking for types of conversations that were same as my sister was having. And um, on blogs, you get quite a lot of sort of very similar backbones. So I actually downloaded this spam bot, which I then um, took where, where we found all these conversations. I just basically put a post up saying, hey, my name is you know Steve King. This is my sister. And this is her story. These are our problems. Has anyone heard of this? And we posted it about 12,000 times. We had over 35,000 responses from people. And we then did a lot of natural language processing to try and understand, you know, what these diseases were. But, but br- briefly, what we did was looked at all of the possible diseases, rare diseases, and, you know, how rare they were. And we overlaid them with the amount of times that people had suggested different diseases. And one of them came up was uh, Parkinson's dystonia. Just kept on, you know, had a lot higher count than what we'd expect for the rareness of the disease along with a couple of others. And I went, I remember going into the doctor in Hereford West in Wales where I'm from and saying, hey, look, this is what I did. And he kind of like just looked at me. And then I said, look, and could, you, could we test for this, please? And he was brilliant. He said, completely understood. We'll test straight away. But the next week she, um, she was up in the kind of near local hospital in a special Parkinson's unit where they took one, one look at her and they just gave her Parkinson's drugs. And those Parkinson's drugs is what she's still on now. And she's... Um, Recently run a triathlon where I could only only just manage the cycling and almost died. And she's <laughs> up and running everywhere. And she's, you know, obviously an ambassador now for White Swan. And that made me realize that, you know, it is great for us to give away things we can as a, you know, as a charity to help where we can. But we've, there's some really unique skills in, in this company. And, you know, the best thing we could do to address the balance really is to try and use those skills for with other people who can't afford to use them. So... White Swan was granted charity status just just over a week ago, 
Um, and we're now raising funding to get these tools in the hands of charities, clinicians, everyone we can so that they can, they can use them and make a difference as well. That's a, that's a fabulous story and lovely to hear that you're more than a, a single dimensional CEO, that you've got uh, some other things that you're contributing to, to the world, to society. And another aspect of this multifaceted person that you are is, um, is your annual summer music festival in the Cotswold Swan Fest, which sounds uh, a, a lot of fun. So any plans to expand that event, especially in 2018, as there'll be no competition from Glastonbury this year? <laughs> That's a good point. Well, so uh, I should probably be very honest here. I am not invited to play at Swan Fest anymore after I played in the second one and cleared the dance floor completely. So uh, I've, uh, you know, I can't really claim any kind of musical or artistic direction in Swanfest. But I do think it represents really well, you know, the 10% crazy value we have in Black Swan. So one of our big values is that we like everyone in Black Swan to be 10% crazy, you know, not too much more, but also not too much less than that. And uh, Swanfest is certainly a time to get that 10% out and show it around. Lovely. I'm intrigued by that 10%. So when you're hiring talent for your team, how do you, to put it bluntly, how do you test for the- having approximately 10% craziness? So that's a really good question to ask a data company, particularly when I have no answer. Um, (laughs) So um, we've got, we're very proud of the values we put together in in Black Swan and being 10% crazy is one of them. And, you know, really what we're looking for in people is a little bit of diversity, you know, not only in, you know, female and race, but, but also in the way that they think and the way they approach life. So I think as we state that to everyone who comes in the door before they even get through, there can be no confusion that that's, that's what we wanted. And it's, it was one of those things that when we redid our values, we, we almost got rid of it because we thought, well, you know, 200 people now, we should start growing up. But really is kind of the core to some of the, the creative thinking that comes here. And by having it on the front door, you know, it seems to just let people who are 10% crazy seem to find us as quick as we can find them. <laughs> Might explain why you and I get on so well, Steve, but we'll move on <laughs> from that rather, rather swiftly. So what's your vision for the future for Black Swan? How do you see the business evolving over the next two to three years? Yeah, well, despite our failed attempts in the US and the difficulty it's been getting to the point where we've got products that we're very proud of, we've now um, produced a couple of really you know, smart products um, um, in the aviation industry, sort of helping um, airlines sort of um, increase the money they're making on, on planes and decrease on the waste of things like food. And we've got a, a really interesting products that are able to predict six, nine months into the future and understand what people are going to be discussing. So we're, you know, the, the, the future for this year, for 2018, is to really get those tools to market because we've just started you know, going and they're, they, they're, they're sort of gathering momentum. But our vision is in 2020 is to start uh, a public listing in the US. You know, we'd like to reach the NASDAQ. We, you know, we, we understand there's loads of really start, smart businesses all over the world, but we think we've got something which is a little bit different. And we really think we help other brands, you know, disrupt their own place in the same way that, you know, Apple, Uber and everyone is disrupting the US. So we would like to bring that to a public listing. We'd like to stand next to these guys and, you know, have public funds available to us like they have, you know, to go and shape the future. And um, so I, you know, I, I, I our North Star for where we're heading really is sort of a NASDAQ listing 2020. That's a, a fabulous uh, ambition. Uh, great to speak to a, a company in the UK that's got such uh, strong global ambitions for the future. Wonderful. Okay, Steve. Well, 
thank you so much for your time today. It's been truly fascinating speaking to a, a DJ forward slash uh, entrepreneur uh, and and uh, finding out about your various interests on the charity front as well. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting my invite to Swanfest uh, 2018. So you just have to give me some guidance on on what to wear and how to prove that I'm 10% crazy. Well, I think you've already proved that, but I wouldn't ask any guidance from me from what to wear for Swanfest. Um, but you'd be welcome. Uh, I really enjoyed the chat. Uh, thanks, Gary. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent.